Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 1 and Daniel chapter 2. Acts chapter 1 and Daniel chapter 2. It is great to be back here, Grace Baptist Church, back in the pulpit, back in the book of Acts. Remember what we're looking at, the beginning of our story. Jesus Christ's work in the church is not finished, and it will not be finished until we are raptured, and then we will ever be with the Lord. And so this story that was begun in the book of Acts, we're going to get some of the foundational material out of the way, and we're actually, we have gotten some of the foundational material out of the way. And now we are into the text. So look at Acts chapter 1 and verse 1. The former treatise, Have I Made O Theophilus, and of course that is the Gospel of Luke, is the former treatise, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. Now don't miss the do and teach. We're going to be looking at that again. Until the day in which he was taken up. Now I was just reading a commentary just a few minutes ago. I have this massive four-volume commentary that, that my friend uh, Dr. Vance gave me. And this man, his name is um, Keener, can't think of his first name, but Craig Keener, and obviously brilliant scholar, but listen, <laughs> listen to what he said, all right? So here, here we're in verse 2, until the day in which he was taken up. Now, how many of you think that you've got a pretty good understanding of what that means, right? So if you look at verse 9, and when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up. All right, so how many of you know what that means? Right, he ascended to the right hand of the Father. How many of you would not call yourselves trained Bible scholars? Would you raise your hand? All right, so here we are in verse 2, until the day in which he was taken up. That probably is dealing with his ascension. Probably? How many of you are thankful you're not a trained Bible scholar? <laughs> so you can absolutely know that he, the reason that I know that he was taken up means his ascension is because in verse 9 he was taken up and that's his ascension. Okay, so we, we get pretty complicated here. All right. Until the day in which he was taken up, after that he, this is Jesus, after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can be assured of these things. And Lord, thank you for coming. Thank you for being God in the flesh. We are so thankful. In Jesus' name, amen. The first thing that I want you to see is as, as the, the Apostle Luke, or as Luke is writing this text, as he's giving us the history, the foundation of the church, there is no church without a resurrected Christ. And so he begins this book with some information about Jesus. So the first thing that I want you to see in this text today is Jesus Christ revealed. Jesus Christ revealed. And the title of my message today is Jesus who was God in the flesh and Jesus who is God in the flesh. So what does God want us to know about Jesus in this text? What does he want us to know? See, Jesus is going to walk with his disciples after his resurrection for 40 days. 40 days. 
And so what's happening, his ascension takes place, I guess, about 10 days before Pentecost. So for 40 days, Jesus is with his disciples. What did he do in those 40 days? Well, we only know a few of them, and they're listed here for us, as well as at the end of the other gospel accounts. But what does God want us to know about Jesus in these verses? Now, it's not what I'm going to tell you that he wants us to know. It's what God has told us he wants to know. And so let's just make sure that we get how we're approaching the scriptures. The Bible in Genesis chapter 40 and verse 8 says this. So they've had a dream. There's some dreams that need to be interpreted. Joseph is there. And they said unto him, we have dreamed a dream and there is no interpreter of it. And Joseph said unto them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me them, I pray you. So what Joseph does all the way at the beginning of the Bible is he lets us know that interpretation doesn't belong to us. Let me tell you what this passage means to me. It doesn't matter what it means to you. It matters what it means to God. You know what we have said before, that when someone says, what, let me tell you what this passage means to me, if you had never been born, does the passage then have no meaning doesn't matter what the... Now, it can have deep personal meaning to us, and we can give a testimony about how the Bible has helped us. That's not interpretation, right? Only God can interpret the Bible. And so we allow God to interpret it because interpretation, it belongs to God. It's His. It's not mine. Interpretation is not mine. It is God's. What does God want us to know about Jesus in this text? Let's look at another passage that deals with interpretation. Go to Daniel chapter 2. Man, it's good to be back with you all. I haven't seen some of your bored faces in a long time. <laughs> look at Daniel chapter 2 and verse 1. And in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams wherewith his spirit was troubled and his sleep break. From him. How many of you ever gotten woken up by a dream you couldn't get back to sleep? Now, Nebuchadnezzar had that happen and he couldn't remember what the dream was. Then the king commanded to call the magicians and the astrologers and the sorcerers and the Chaldeans for to show the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. And the king said unto them, I have dreamed a dream and my spirit was troubled to know the dream. Then spake the Chaldeans to the king in Syriac, O king, live forever. Tell thy servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. Now, here's what they were going to do. They were just going to make something up. Now, look at what happens. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The thing is gone from me. If ye will not make known unto me the dream... With the interpretation thereof, ye shall be cut in pieces, and your house shall be houses shall be made dunghills. That's what's going to happen to all of you disciples who don't come on August thirty first at six o'clock. But if ye show the dream and the interpretation thereof, ye shall receive of me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and the interpretation thereof. They answered again. And said, let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. Can't you just see him? They're starting to get nervous. The king answered and said, I know of certainty that ye would gain the time. You're stalling. 
because you see the thing is gone from me. But if you will not make known unto me the dream, there is but one decree for you. For ye have prepared lying and corrupt words to speak before me till the time be changed. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that ye can show me the interpretation thereof. These guys are in trouble. Because not only do they have to come up with the interpretation, they actually have to come up with the dream. Now, I don't know about you guys. I have no idea what's going on in your head. Well, I know what's going on in these guys' heads. Nothing. (laughs) You missed me, didn't you? I could tell. Yes. Now, look, look at what it says in verse 10. The Chaldeans answered before the king and said, There is not a man upon the earth that can show the king's matter. Therefore, there is no king, lord, nor ruler that asks such things at any magician or astrologer or Chaldean. And it is a rare thing that the king requireth, and there is none other that can show it before the king except the gods, look at what it says, whose dwelling is not with flesh. How many of you are glad you know the God who dwells with man? Emmanuel, God with us. That's Jesus. They didn't know Jesus. They certainly didn't know Jesus. And it's interesting that Jesus makes an appearance in the book of Daniel. Remember when the three Hebrew children are thrown into the the fiery furnace and there's one walking with them whose appearance was as the son of God? Now, if you have a modern translation, it would say son of the gods. How many of you know Jesus is not the son of the gods? Right? But Jesus... He had not come in the flesh at this point. And yet God was still working with his people. So look at what it says in verse 12. For this cause, the king was angry and very furious and commanded to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. And the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain. And they sought Daniel and his fellows, that's the three Hebrew children, to be slain. Then Daniel answered with counsel, and wisdom to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, which was gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon. He answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, Why is the decree so hasty from the king? Then Arioch made the thing known to Daniel. Then Daniel went in and desired of the king that he would give him time and that he would show the king the interpretation. It's interesting, before Daniel ever prayed, he told the king his God can do it. What do we call that? faith. Was Daniel arrogant or did he have faith? He didn't know Jesus. He didn't have the indwelling Holy Spirit. He didn't have what the book of Acts is going to teach us. And yet he had faith. How many of you think that maybe we ought to have greater faith than Daniel had? Do we? I would have to say no about myself, but I ought to. And I'm going to pray that the Lord will help me to have the faith that I need to have based on his word. And I hope that you'll pray the same thing. So now look at what it says. Verse 17. Then Daniel went to his house and made the thing known unto Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. You know, it's not Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those are names, those are uh, titles given by the Babylonians to these young men. These young men, their names represent the God of Israel. They were given pagan names. These are the names that we ought to know them by. So look at what it says in verse 18. That they would desire mercies of the God of heaven. Not the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh from verse 11. 
that they would desire mercies of the God of heaven concerning this secret, that Daniel and his fellows should not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Verse 19, Then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. He didn't immediately get up and go tell the king. What did he do first? He thanked God. And what, a, what an amazing psalm of praise is given right here. Let's look at what it says. Then Daniel answered and said, verse 20, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. He tells the king later, I don't have any special wisdom. I can't answer this by my wisdom. He didn't have the answer. God had the answer. That's his. Verse 21. And he, now I want you to notice this. And he changeth the times and seasons. He changes the times and seasons. Hold your Bible. Hold your place right here. Put your ribbon there. Whatever you need to. We're coming right back. Go back to Acts chapter 1. Verse 6, when they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. Hmm. You're not to know the times and seasons. Lord willing, so next Sunday, Steve Thornton, our missionary, will be home. He's going to be preaching the whole day, Sunday morning and Sunday night. The following week, Lord willing, we're going to be looking at, can we know the times and seasons? Let me go ahead and answer it. Yes. Yes. For the kingdom, not the rapture. God's told Israel, God's told the Jews when that's going to happen. It's going to be after a bunch of other stuff that has to happen. All right, when's that other stuff going to happen? We don't know. But that's what we're going to look at. It's going to be really fun. We're going to look at that, Lord willing, week after next. So these times and seasons, go back to Daniel chapter 2. Don't worry, I've been gone for a couple of weeks. I'm going to preach for about three hours this morning to make up for it. Okay, let's keep going. So verse 21 again of Daniel chapter 2, and he changeth the times and the seasons. Look at what it says. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. So if, if over the last several weeks you've been very disturbed by what's going on in politics and the injustice of the justice system. I was in Washington, D.C. a couple of years ago. I was walking by the Justice Department. There were a couple of police officers standing out in front. And so I, I just stopped and I said to them, I said, is there any justice in there? Cops looked at each other, looked at me and said, do you know what that building is? No, there's no justice in there. We can't look for justice from the world. We had justice from God. And how many of you are thankful that you don't get justice, but you get mercy? Amen. And we get, we get really upset. I saw one of my favorite memes was that um, President Trump should have hidden all of those documents on Hunter's laptop. <laughs> and then the Justice Department wouldn't be interested in them at all. When, when you look at what's going on in the world, you can start to get all upset. Remember, God raises up leaders. God takes down leaders. How's your faith? How is your faith? So look at what it says. Verse 21, he changeth the times and seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. Jesus is the ultimate king. He's coming back. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. He revealeth the deep and secret things 
He knoweth what is in the darkness, and the light dwelleth with him. I thank thee and praise thee, O thou God of my fathers, who hast given me wisdom and might, and hast made known unto me now what we desired of thee. For thou hast now made known unto us the king's matter. So he goes in and he tells the king, and look at what it says in verse 27. Then, or it says, Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king hath demanded cannot the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers show unto the king. But there is a God in heaven that reveal the secrets. He didn't come in, I have the answer. I have the answer. There's a God. What, what did Daniel always do? Pointed people to God. He pointed them to God. How did, it, how did he understand the times? He was in God's word. He believed what God had promised. That's who Daniel is. But there is a God in heaven that reveal the secret, that revealeth secrets, and maketh known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. Thy dream and the visions of thy head upon thy bed are these. Oh, man. He said he doesn't have any great wisdom, but God in heaven knows the answer. So as we study the book of Acts, you don't need to know what I think about the book of Acts. You need to know and really focus on what has God said about the individual events that are given to us in this historical account in the book of Acts. So let's go to the book of Acts, and there are some things revealed about Jesus. You say, Pastor, why did you just go through all of that Daniel stuff? Because I want to introduce the times and the seasons, but also for us to understand that it doesn't matter what the commentators say, and that's helpful. I'll, I'll read through a ton of commentaries as we do this, and they'll help me to have insights that I have missed. But the only thing that matters is if what they say about the text is true. Okay? So now, we're back in, we're back in Acts chapter 1, and look at verse 2. The end of verse 1, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day he was taken up, all right? So understand, that's our context. He had his resurrection, and now we're going to look at that up until his ascension. What do we know about that? There are eight events that are mentioned, all right? The first is his earthly life of doing and teaching. So what did he do? His earthly life is doing and teaching. Well, that's the Gospels. That's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We need to be very familiar with what Jesus did. How did he answer? What did he do? Because understand, like Erwin Lutzer said, if the world loves your Jesus, it's because you've made him into something that he is not. So it's very important that we understand what he did and taught. And we're going to come back to that, Lord willing, in a minute. So what did he do? He, his earthly life and teaching... And then look at what it says in verse 2. Until the day in which he was taken up, after, so he was, didn't ascend, after that he, strange words here, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. So I, I may deal with some of this this evening, but just briefly... It's an, it, it really is an amazing thing that when Jesus was on earth teaching, when he was on earth living his sinless life as man, 
that he had given up. He had given up the free and independent exercise of his godness. He lived in this world as a man. And the teaching and work and miracles that he did, it was all done through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what, that's what that Philippians 2 passage that I, I cite so often, he made himself of no reputation. That who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. He emptied himself. He came as a man for men to die as a man. Listen, don't ever let that get old. What he did for us in coming as a man, it's just so important. And, And so that's why here at the beginning of the book of Acts, how are we, the beginning of our story, how did Jesus do his work through the Holy Spirit? So will you answer out loud? How are we to do our work? How are we doing? When I think about my own faith compared to Daniel's. Now, wouldn't you have thought it was weird? I have greater faith than Daniel did. Some of you think it would be really weird if I stood up and said that. Right? But how many of you know that I should have greater faith than Daniel? Why? I have the Bible. He didn't have it. And he didn't have the indwelling Holy Spirit. Well, if I have the indwelling Holy Spirit, and I'm supposed to be teaching you right now in the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm supposed to be interacting with my wife in the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I'll be preaching three meetings in New York next week. How am I supposed to do that? In my own strength, in my own power? I hope not. I'm tired just thinking about it. How How am I supposed to do that and do it well and bring glory to God? How am I supposed to do that? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. How are you supposed to go to work this week? Did you, do you kids start school yet? When, when does school start? Oh, you've got time. We've got jobs for you guys until then. August 18th. Is that because you're homeschooled? Is your mom mean? No. <laughs> Don't answer that. Mom's giving you orders. When you start school. You're supposed to do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. When when you go to work, when you raise your children, when you interact with your spouse, when you watch the news, when you're living out in the world, when you go to therapy, Wade, it's supposed to be, not that kind of therapy, it's his knee. (laughs) They can't afford this. Listen, we're supposed to do it all through the power of the Holy Spirit. Be honest. How many of you, be honest. It's not a trick question. How many of you feel like you don't really understand or know enough about what that actually means? Would you raise your hand? That's what the book of Acts is about. That's, that's what we're, that's why it starts right here. It's letting us know this is what Jesus did. And one of the keys that we're going to be focusing on is how do, because we all reject the false stuff that's said about the Holy Spirit in the world, but we can overreact and really not acknowledge his presence enough. So let's go back to the text. These eight things that he did, 
he, the things that he, he, he doing and teaching, he charged his apostles in verse 2 again, until the day in which he was taken up, after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments. All right, so he charged these apostles. He gave them commandments. Look at what it says, whom he had chosen. Whom he had chosen. Anybody saved here? All right, you're not chosen to salvation. That I, So... Um, Pastor in Maine, Josh Lovelace, when I was preaching up there, we did their discipleship conference, Laura and I went up there, and uh, his wife had heard me say, I want a t-shirt that says Calvinism, Some Lives Matter. And she made me this black t-shirt that says Calvinism, Some Lives Matter. So I was wearing that in Breckenridge on vacation. I had four different people stop me and ask me about this and what, what what does it mean and or they just said I love it I love that I took a picture I, I had two or three people take pictures of the shirt because because they just love it um, we're not chosen to salvation we're, God wants everyone to be saved it's not God's will that any should perish but that all should come to repentance but when you're saved you're chosen to a work. Anybody saved? Are you saved? You know where this is going, okay? How many of you are saved? Did you raise your hand? Then you're chosen to do something. You're not saved to sit. You're saved to do something. The doing something doesn't save you. But if you're saved, you're supposed to do something. So, he had chosen these apostles, and as we looked at a couple of weeks ago... Man, I probably would have chosen some different dudes. Right? But look in the mirror. <laughs> How many of you would have chosen you? If, if the future of Christianity was based on me, that would be a real bummer. And yet God has chosen to base it on all of us. Eh, no. God has chosen to use us. The future is sure. But he has chosen us to be a part of it. What an amazing privilege. So... His earthly life of doing and teaching. He charged his disciples by the Holy Spirit. He had chosen them until, all right, middle of beginning of verse 2, the day in which he was taken up. We're going to spend a whole message on what does the, why is the ascension of Jesus Christ significant? How many of you know that the ascension of Jesus is true and the assumption of Mary is false? We're going to be breaking that down from the scriptures. No intention of being offensive to anybody. Telling the truth should not be offensive. Amen? He was taken up. What is another thing that... Now remember, principle of measured words. God chose to only give us a few events that are listed here about what Jesus did. All right? So look with me in verse 3. To whom also, this is his, the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself, what's that next word? After his passion, that's his death on the cross, by many infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days. All right, so what did he do? He showed himself alive by many infallible proofs. Almost every modern Bible takes infallible out. How many think that's probably a word that you shouldn't take out? Right? Because there are lots of evidences that are not evidence. Right? There can be false testimony. 
There can be false witnesses. These are infallible proofs. Jesus rose from the dead. And what's the most important doctrine of Christianity? The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's the basis. That's the foundation of Christianity. So his earthly life, teaching, he charged his apostles by the Holy Spirit. He had chosen them until he was taken up. He showed himself alive by many infallible proofs after his passion. Very important, after his passion. He really died. He didn't swoon. He didn't just pass out. He he didn't go into some kind of trance. He was physically dead, and that's the significance of the three days and the three nights. You, You can stop breathing for a period of time, not for three days, not for three nights, and that's what Jesus did, his physical body. One of the things um, I, I mentioned in my Sunday school class, we were in Vail, Colorado, and I saw the, this group of Jehovah's Witnesses setting up. And uh, I saw the guy who had been setting it up. Laura and I were in a different part, uh, a little bit away from where they had set up, and I saw this guy walking by. So and as, as he walked by, I said, Jesus Christ is God. He stopped and he said, why did you say that to me? I said, I saw you setting up for the Jehovah's Witnesses, and I know that, you're not, that you don't believe that Jesus Christ is God. I said something like, you're not Christian. And he goes, oh, that's a common misunderstanding. We are Christian. And I said, well, you don't believe that Jesus is God. And he said, well, let me ask you this. He was going to get me. He said, so you're saying that when Jesus died, that, that God was dead for three days. That the, how did he say it? There was no, that God wasn't in existence or there was no God for three days? And So I said to him, I said, you really don't know anything about Christianity, do you? I said, here's the problem. I know more about Jehovah's Witnesses than you do about Christianity. You don't know what you're talking about. And then I showed him from Hebrews where it said, a body hast thou prepared me. The whole purpose of Jesus Christ coming in the flesh was so that body could die because God can't die. And just like when you die, your spirit lives forever. Right? The difference is your spirit had a beginning. God's spirit has no beginning and no ending. But when your spirit, when you are born, when when you are conceived, your spirit begins and will exist forever, either in heaven or in hell. One of the two. Right? And so when Jesus Christ died, God did not cease to exist. Very important. But his body was very literally dead. And then it was risen from the dead. So then he was seen, again, look at your text, verse 3, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days. Oh, by the way, he didn't want to talk to me anymore after that. (laughs) Being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Pertaining to the kingdom of God. So we've talked about how the Bible in the book of Acts transitions from the Jewish Gospels to the church epistles, from the law to grace, from Peter the apostle to the Jews to Paul the apostle to the Gentiles, and it transitions from Jerusalem where they're waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit to Antioch where they're sending out missionaries and teaching the Bible in the power of the Holy Ghost. That It's a transitional book, but not only is it a transitional book, on those topics, but it's a transition from the promise of the kingdom to Israel to the establishment of the church and the work that the church will do, which is the kingdom of God. 
Now, the kingdom of God does not cease to exist when the, when the millennium starts. At that point, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God will both be on earth at the same time. When Jesus is on earth, the kingdom of heaven is there and the kingdom of God is there. When Jesus is in heaven, the kingdom of heaven is not on earth. And yet, the Bible says, the kingdom of God is in you. And we're going to spend some time looking at that. We're not going to do that right now. But what he's doing is, notice what he's doing here again in verse 3, the end of verse 3, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God, he begins teaching his disciples again. All right? So now, look at verse 1 again. The former treatise, Have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. So what he did and what he taught, what he did and what he taught is summarized in these few events that are mentioned in this text. How many of you know Jesus did more than these eight things? Why are these the only things that are mentioned introducing the book of Acts? Why? Because these are the things that the church is going to teach. These are the things that he did. What did he do? He rose from the dead. He rose from the dead. What did he teach? Things pertaining to the kingdom of God. What he did physically rose from the dead. And then he taught a very specific doctrine, things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Why is that important? The Bible says in Romans 14, 17, that the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. It's a, it's a spiritual thing. The, the kingdom of, of heaven is a physical kingdom that Jesus is going to be a physical throne that Jesus sits on in a physical city and rules and reigns a physical kingdom. Amen? This spiritual thing is what the church is about. Church is not about this building. The church is about the spiritual life within each and every one of us. That's the kingdom of God. The fact of his resurrection after his, his death is the leading feature of this passage. Here's what Arno Gabeline said. It must be necessarily so for his resurrection is the great foundation upon which the gospel and the church rests. Listen, if there's no resurrection from the dead, we are of all men most miserable. That's the foundation of everything we do. And every person at every level of spiritual growth needs to be reminded of this. So, young people. Here's what I want you to know. How many of you young people have heard that Jesus rose from the dead? How many of you know that? Right? How many of you know it for a long time? Your earliest memories, all of you who've come to Grace Baptist, you know about the resurrection. When you know something and you're so familiar with it, it's hard to remember what an amazing miracle it is. When I was in high school, I, I worked at a funeral home mowing the lawns. And the, they came to our church, Cole's Funeral Home. And there was a, a guy that worked there, one of the funeral directors. He looked like Ichabod Crane, real tall, skinny, sunken cheeks. He looked just like Ichabod Crane would look. And I asked him, I said, have you ever had a body sit up? Because I've heard of that happening. Is that a legend, Eric, or does it actually happen? That doesn't happen? I said, have you ever seen that happen? He said, if it did, it would be my last one. <laughs> uh, how many of you know it's not normal for dead people to get up? Right? So here's, here's what the Bible says. Look what he did. He appeared in their midst after his, after his death. 
He appeared in their midst. He walked with them. He ate with them. How many of you think it would be really weird if a dead body got up and started eating? They touched his body, his hands, his feet. They found out he was not an apparition. He wasn't a ghost. But he had a body of flesh and bones. But what did Jesus say? Spirit hath not flesh and bones. Come touch me. How about that? That he thus, this is Gabeline again, that he thus showed himself with many proofs. It's beyond controversy. I don't believe in the resurrection. Well, whatever. I don't believe in gravity. I don't believe in George Washington. I I, I don't believe in that. Okay. Infallible proofs. Jesus rose from the dead. What did he do? He rose from the dead. That's the foundation of everything that we believe. And tonight we're going to look at the resurrected life. What does it mean? What is it? Why is this so significant to us? Then, what he taught. Things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Let's finish with this. We're going we're to spend some more time on the kingdom of God later. But look at Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. All right, look at verse 19. For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. And inasmuch as, uh, and, and inasmuch as not without an oath, he was made a priest, for those priests were made without an oath, but this with an oath by him that said unto him, The Lord swear and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So, there's a lot of information there, but let's look at verse 22. By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. And they truly were, may, were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. They died. These other priests died. But this, and, and their priesthood ended. But this man, because he continueth, what's it say? Hath an unchangeable priesthood. Listen, here's, here's what it means to us. Look at what it says. Verse 25. Wherefore, he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto him by God, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. What did he do? What did he do? He rose from the dead. What did he teach? Kingdom of God. What's the kingdom of God? God is in you. And he will be there forever. Wow. For such an high priest became us. Isn't that amazing? Took on a body who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, 
who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself. Not every time communion is taken. Amen? For the law maketh men high priests which have infirmity, but the word of the oath which was since the law maketh the son who is consecrated forevermore. He ever liveth to make intercession for the saints. How many of you are saved today? You know Jesus Christ is your Savior? That means you have the Holy Spirit in you. God in you, the hope, Christ in you, the hope of glory. You have Christ in you. Then we ought to have faith. And when you do the work through the power of the Holy Spirit, but the good news is, <laughs> you're saved to the uttermost. You know what that means? You can't be saved anymore. Amen? Man, if you're not saved, if you've never trusted Christ alone for your eternal life, you need to do that. And we can take the Bible and show you how you can do that. How many of you know Jesus Christ as your Savior for sure? Well, if you're not sure, let us show you. You know what every one of those hands meant? Someone showed every one of those people what we want to show you. And that's what we want to do. Let's all stand together. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your word. Father, thank you for what you did and what you taught. Thank you for rising from the dead. And thank you for teaching us what that means in your kingdom of God. Father, thank you that kingdom is in us, that you dwell within every believer. And Lord, I pray that if there's any person here today and they're not sure whether or not they are born again, whether or not your spirit resides in them, Father, I pray that that's settled today. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like for us to show you, just step out. We'll take the Bible and show you.